Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where we talk to leaders about how leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And our guest today is known as the Rapid Growth Coach, because by the age of 30, he was responsible for building five multi-million dollar businesses. He's also provided training, keynotes, and workshops around the world from Thailand to Las Vegas. Why? Well, you'll find out when he starts talking. He talks funny, I'm just going to say. He says that there's something heroic about people with the skill, passion, and belief in themselves to launch a business. Therefore, he has dedicated himself to helping them prosper. It's certainly something a lot of us small business owners could use is, is that help. He's a certified speaking professional with the National Speakers Association and was named one of the top 10 sales speakers in the world by Big Speak. He's got 30 publications, including a best-selling book, The Introvert's Edge, which I'm going to be interested to hear about that because we find that a lot of leaders, a lot of great leaders are introverts because they know how to listen better. I'd like you to welcome with me to Leading from the Front, Mr. Matthew Pillard. How you doing, Matthew? I'm doing terrific, mate. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, The mate came out right in the first sentence. That's great. Now they know you're from Australia. You have to own it, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Own who you are. So, Matthew, talk a little bit about your beginnings, your path. At a young age, you've had a lot of success. And one of the things that we'd like to talk about on this program is not just the successes, but the challenges, the struggles, the failures, how you overcame some of those, and help, help people that do struggle with this stuff with some of the things that you learned along the way. So tell, tell us a little bit about your background. Absolutely. And I, I think one of the important things, and especially when you hear like, you know, best speaker of this, people automatically assume that, well, he must just have that gift of gab to be able to reach that level of success. He must just have that natural talent. And the truth is that really wasn't me. I mean, in, in late high school, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. I was horribly introverted. And, you know, I, I show a photo of a, my face back then. I had, you know, horrible acne And, you know, when I'm doing presentations, I share that photo for like a second before I switch it off and everybody laughs. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm able to enjoy that laughter now because I've been able to, I wouldn't say change who I am because I never suggest that people change who they are, but become the best version of myself. And, you know, it really started with, you know, in late high school, I took a job at a real estate agency straight out of high school, really to spend a year finding myself because while I got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome, which basically means I put on a pair of glasses and miraculously I can learn to read, it was still a hustle to learn to read like everyone else. And while I got to the top 20% of my state in, in to get into university, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I, I felt like I wouldn't have made it if I didn't take a year off to really find out where I wanted to go. And while everyone hears real estate and assumes, oh, he must have been out there selling, I wasn't. I was the guy in the back office with a look on my face saying, don't speak to me. I'm here to find myself. You know, I was there to do data entry and that's it. But what happened was I actually lost my job about three weeks into it. They decided to close that office just before Christmas. 
And as you know, as we've hinted to, you know, I don't sound American. I'm actually from Australia. And, you know, Australia has our summer break and our Christmas break at the exact same time. So we go away on the 20th of December. And no one comes back until the 15th or 20th of January. So no one's hiring. So the only jobs I could get, there were actually only three jobs in the paper at the time, and each one of them were commission-only sales. So as you can imagine, taking on a job like that as an introvert, there was nothing more terrifying. Well, I applied for all three jobs because the only thing I was more terrified of that was telling my father that I didn't have a way of earning money to support myself for that period. So I applied for all three, and I got all three jobs. Turns out commission-only roles hire everybody. <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're going to be told, go out there, sell something. If you do, you make money. If you don't, no, no skin off my back. My manager used these words. We just throw mud up against the wall and see what sticks, which yeah, yeah. sounds great until you're the mud, right? So That's right. Literally, yeah. I got employed by a business team because I was the only person that showed up for within a suit. So, you know, it wasn't a great suit, shined in the sun. It was black, terrible suit, lime green shirt, red post office tie. After five days of product training, I get thrown on this road. It's called Sydney Road in Melbourne, Australia. And literally just got told to go sell. There's over a 1,000 doors on each side. And, you know, I had this realization just before I walked into the first door. No one actually told me how to sell. Like, I didn't know what to say. So I took a deep breath. I walked in. Luckily enough, I was politely told to leave. The next door, I was less politely told to leave. Then I was sworn at. But my personal favorite was always getting told to go get a real job. And then door after door, this just kept happening until the 93rd door where I made my first sale. And I remember, you know, I made $70, but I was ecstatic for about 45 seconds. And then I had my second realization for the day. I got to do this again tomorrow and the next day. And I think, and this is really important for everybody listening. You know, at this stage, generally one of two things happens. And I think especially with the COVID situation we're in right now, this mindset still is the only thing that generally applies. The old fashioned fight or flight, right? So we either fight through it, which is that old, let's just hustle through it, we'll grind it out mentality. Or the, I'm just going to quit, it's too hard, which is where we just, you know, even if we don't quit our job or, you know, quit our business, you know, we start to procrastinate, which leads to the same thing eventually. And for me, I decided at that point that I wasn't, I couldn't quit my job because I wasn't willing to tell my father that was enough for me, but also I wasn't really comfortable hustling through. I mean, that would have meant my year was going to suck. So instead I took a step back and said, how can I take responsibility for this? And I made the decision that sales had to be a system because if it wasn't a system, it was going to be a terrible year. So I went to the, I went through how could I learn this system? And remember, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. This was well before podcasts like this, but I couldn't exactly pick up a Zig Ziglar or a Brian Tracy book. It would have taken me a year to read it, let alone apply it. But what I actually did was I, I found this tool called YouTube, which was becoming well-known back then. And funnily enough, there's a lot more on there than just cat videos, surprisingly. And I typed in the system for a sale and all these videos came up. So I, I then started focusing on one element at a time. I'd spend eight hours focusing on, you know, selling out in the field and then eight hours learning the next way of perfecting the process. Weekends were great. I got to spend 16 hours practicing. doesn't sound fun to anyone, I'm sure, that's listening. But every day, that was that was my my life for about six weeks. I mean, soon, but soon it was, you know, 71 doors, then it was 36 doors, then it was 18 doors, then it was eight doors, then it was three doors. I got it down to an average of I'd make a sale on, you know, one every three doors. As a matter of fact, my manager pulled me in about six weeks in and I thought I'd done something wrong. And he just he was just puzzled and he said, Matt, we're kind of blown away by this, but we just printed out our national sales figures and it turns out you're the number one salesperson in the company, which 
I mean, so happened to be the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, I so, shortly after that got promoted because everybody thinks just because you can sell means you can manage. Not true. I got my own 20 salespeople. They all quit in three days. But back in <laughs> learn to manage. Right, we're going we're gonna to find out why. But before you do that, I want to I wanna go back and just, just highlight a few things because as you're talking about this, I'm sitting there. I get this picture in my mind of this, this young man. You say, you haven't gone to college yet, so you're what, 18, 19 years old? You're just, 18, you're, yeah. Okay, you're 18 years old. You can't read. You really don't have a good reading channel. You, you can't see because you, you didn't know about glasses that could help you to read. You've got acne or you, you had acne. So your, your self-esteem, obviously, is not the greatest. You have no, no sales experience, no sales training for, per se. You're an introvert and you're trying to learn everything on your own. Great. All right. So that's the scenario, the fir- your first week of or your second week of work, right? Well, you put it, it doesn't sound like much fun. It doesn't sound like fun at all. And that's why what you said with the amygdala kicking in the threat, you know, I want to make this point. It's fight or flight, right? It's, it's fight or flight. And you're like, okay, I can either quit. And as we talk about this in leadership all the time, and you even mentioned this, you quit sometimes by procrastinating. So it's not the people that quit and go that's the problem. It's the people that quit and stay. And we as leaders have to understand what to do with that. But when I, when I heard you talk, you said this twice. The reason you didn't quit, the reason you fought through was because of your fear of going home and telling your father you didn't have a job. So having parental fear sometimes is a good thing. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I think we all put, you know, a lot of times what happens is we start, you see these great success stories that then spin out. What it is, is for the longest time, they've used this backup against the wall to create success, to create the energy, but they've never used any kind of forward motivation. And I can tell you, you know, I mean, the, the, the summary is, yes, I got promoted into management. I got promoted seven times in that year, then got overconfident, started up my own business. And, you know, less than a decade later, I'd been responsible for five multi-million dollar businesses. But, you know, about a year in, I'd started, you know, we'd already turned over more than a million dollars. So that kind of back up against the wall mentality, if, if you're still living by that, you have to keep creating disasters to have you back up against the wall. That's not, that's not healthy. So you need to start to move towards, uh, towards something. But what happens is I find a lot of people in leadership, a lot of people in any kind of industry or business or career, they'll, they'll start with their back up against the wall. And let's, let's face it, they have an advantage over a lot of people because Let's face it, we live in this world now. Things aren't that bad even when they're terrible. I mean, it's not like we're going to starve. It's not like we're, you know, we're going to, you know, have to live like we had to 100 years ago. I mean, you know, one of these jokes that I heard, um, a good friend of mine, John David Mann, he wrote three New York Times bestsellers say, he's like, even right now, like if you're going to have a plague, a plague with Wi-Fi is better than a plague without it, right? So we don't really have this terrible lifestyle. So, you know, while, I mean, my father wasn't going to kill me, I wasn't going to get go home and get beaten up, but I had this perceived fear of not, you know, that something bad would happen. But really, I created this artificial back against the wall. And I see a lot of people do that successfully for a period of time. And then eventually, there's nothing else to run from. So they stop trying and they spin out. What I find is toward motivations are actually a lot more powerful, just most people never think about them and they don't find something they can connect with which is meaningful, meaningful enough to even bother. Well, you speak like a true entrepreneur because psychological studies show that we're about five to ten times more likely to move away from pain than to move towards pleasure. And most people in their lives or in the way they see the world are trying to get to, you know, our natural psychological state is homeostasis. 
which is a, a level of comfort and balance. So we want to eliminate the pain. And, and then if we've got any energy for it, we'll, we'll move towards something that's a pleasurable outcome. The problem is that when you're moving towards a pleasurable outcome, there's all kinds of barriers and obstacles that you're going to run into along the way. And people are afraid sometimes to face those barriers. So there's always a balance of pain and pleasure understanding psychologically and quite frankly in the marketplace. But you, you talk about as an entrepreneur, and I know that when you talk about the rapid, you're the rapid growth guy that you're out there saying, look, just like the pandemic now, you are never going to survive long-term by cutting expenses. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is that if anybody goes under their shell during the COVID time, the, the thing is, I, I have changed the way we spend money during COVID, but the there's but we're actually charging forward in other areas, right? You have to you have to be logical. But the thing that I see in a lot of leaders right now, and it, it kills me to see this, is a lot of leaders are hiding under their desks right now because they're shell shocked. And I mean, I understand, you know, because entrepreneurs are used to dealing with not knowing where things are going day to day. And I mean, now they're dealing with this plus the COVID situation, which, you know, some people are not coping with. But a lot of leaders love seeing consistency of earnings. They love knowing, you know, I think it was Robert Kiyosaki that talked about why they, the reason why there were so few people willing to go into their own entrepreneurship is there's so few people willing to accept the inconsistencies that come with that, right? The, the the 10 times higher highs, but the three times lower lows, but not knowing what next week's one go, is going to be, the high or the low. So a lot of leaders right now, I find, you know, they're hiding under their desk because they don't know how to communicate up. But also a lot of the times they also don't know how to communicate to their teams. They're used to going in and being blasé and, you know, getting people hyped up and, you know, walking through the office. And now, you know, their kids are in the other room and they don't know what that feels like. They can't see people. But these are things that entrepreneurs have had to deal with there, you know, for a long time. What you're, you see, what you're talking about under, in large businesses is you have a lot of people that are managing they're managing resources, they're managing money, they're managing equipment, they're managing marketing strategies and direction, they're, and they're sometimes managing people and sometimes leading them. Now, the requirement and the reason they're on their desk is under their desk is because they have to lead people. And what the things that you're talking about with the level of vulnerability and understanding to be able to come out from under the desk and look their people in the eye. And it's OK for them to say, you know what? I'm scared. I, I'm, I'm a little bit scared of the future. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to put our heads together and figure out how to get through this. I want to knock on their desk, get them out from under the desk and say, get out from under there and start leading. Right. Well, it's been interesting to see how some people communicate. And, you know, it's funny, regardless of what politics, and we talked about, I don't talk politics on shows. Let's not talk politics. But regardless of which politics you follow, what's been really inspirational is to see a lot of leaders start to communicate and start to message, whether it be through Facebook or, you know, or, or different versions of media. But what I have noticed is, you know, I saw, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about the specific travel company, but the travel company said, you know, they got online, they, they got on, on TV and they said, we're going to have to let a thousand people go um, just because of the current situation. However, we need, we're still going away and we're working out why we are cash positive. We need to work out whether we, we have great liquidity. So we're going to get back to you about whether or not there are any other changes. No mention of 
productivity right now is important to make sure that that doesn't shift. No, we want to keep everybody, but this is the situation. Just matter of fact, this is what it is. Well, if I worked for that organization, what would I be doing? Turning on Netflix, procrastinating like crazy, worried about losing my job because worry takes energy as opposed to a leader directing me, telling me, we would love to keep everybody, but that's going to do a lot, have a lot to do with productivity over this period of time and how we can all come together to find a way to improve the business that we currently have with the people that we have. There's a lot of times they just go away back under their desk until they have something else to say. You know, and, and a lot of career professionals are having the same situation. You know, the, the the managers are saying, well, these people are loud, so they must be active, but the introverts are sitting there just working away and not getting noticed. So they have to learn how to manage upward to communicate to their boss, to show leadership, because this is a great time to get promoted. It's also a terrible time to lose your job. But if you don't learn new skills, I mean, let's put this in real terms. I learned how to sell in six weeks by watching YouTube videos. When I do a lot of my keynotes, I say at the end, you know, Abraham Lincoln had this amazing quote. If I was given six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening the axe. You know, a lot of people, what they do in their own business is akin to just keeping on chopping. What they do in their careers is akin to just keeping on chopping. You know, COVID's a great time to sharpen the axe. So many people come up afterwards and say, Matt, I wish I had six weeks where I had nothing else to do but focus on selling. Well, we were already just gifted that during COVID. Everyone got, you know, told to go home. No one learned new skills. They all just spent time, you know, working out what things they wanted to buy on Amazon or, you know, playing computer games or watching movies. This is a time that we can learn to become better leaders. I mean, the truth is that a lot of organizations are probably not going to go back to having the level of offices they had in the past because everyone's realized they can do more from home. But if you haven't learned how to manage virtually, you know, there are entrepreneurs that I work with that have teams of people in the Philippines, in India, in Idaho. They just have people remote and they know how to manage them. Most people that are used to offices don't know that skill. If you're going to focus on one thing to get out of your desk, maybe it's about communicating with your team through a digital method. A lot of entrepreneurs have been doing that through podcasts for a long time. But these are skill sets that are both learnable and masterable. But you have to make the decision not to fight through the way you currently do it, not to run away, but to actually take responsibility and learn the skills you need to succeed. Well, and it, it starts with, I'm going to go right back to your six weeks where you learned how to sell because you looked at it and you realized as an introvert and as an aware person that you didn't know what the hell you were doing. So that's the first step. I don't know what I'm doing. Instead of continuing to do the same thing over and over and over again and hoping to get different results, you say, okay, this isn't working. One out of 99 is not good. I'm sorry, 93, one out of 93. Let's get the numbers right. And, and you say, I got to find another way. So you, you look for other ways. The leaders today, the managers today need to look for other ways. When I, and I've mentioned Matt Rocco a couple of times, the CEO of a global company, eTech Global, who, they were a call center and they had these thousands of people, 3,000 people around the world in call centers. And with the uh, pandemic, they had to pivot. And what did he say? He said to his leadership team, okay, we're going to continue to provide services to our clients. We need to be able to do it in some areas of security because we work with banks and so on. We've got to have social distancing and we're going to send some people home. And that means we have to buy equipment. We've got to get them set up. And he said to his team, you've been preparing for this. You've had the skills and have been preparing for this moment for 20 years. Now let's get to work. So he gave them direction, a goal, a vision based on customer service and taking care of the employees all at once. 
And when I listened to him and he was a podcast guest and I did a special with him because it was so awesome that that laid it out, like you said, and communicated it and then said, this is what's going to happen. And this is what's going to happen when we're through this. Just to your point, learning new skills and not sitting back and accepting the way we've done things all along. I, you know, full disclosure, Matthew, I, I develop leaders. We've been doing it face to face. We started going virtual in October. So we were starting to do hybrid. I've had to pivot that entire thing. And in 60 days, we're going to be rolling out our Leader Step 7 virtual program that's going to be better than what we did in face-to-face, I think. And that's what we do as entrepreneurs. We don't sit around and wait and hope and think, oh, maybe things will get better. You reassess, you go inside and you figure it out. And that's the power of introversion in a lot of ways, isn't it? Well, it's interesting you say that. So I've been telling speakers for the longest time that if you only earn income from one delivery method, that's like owning a McDonald's franchise but not being able to sell fries, right? You, you only have, If you only have one way of making money, then the problem that you have is, firstly, you can't sell them other things, but secondly, you can't create other delivery methods. For instance, my consulting rate has gone through the roof because I have an online academy, a cheaper version of people buying access to me that doesn't take my time. My speaking fees you know, have gone, you know, have allowed me, you know, I've been incredibly successful in the speaking space because the other businesses also do really well. So I'm not scared of charging more money because I don't care if I lose it because I I make great money in other positions. During COVID, you know, my online academy sales went, you know, went up, my consultancy went up, speaking was obliterated as you could, um, as, as what happened with a lot of other people. But what happened was while everybody else said, oh, should we go virtual? Should we go virtual? And they hustled to learn that. I went, well, no, there's some other great opportunities to do. So what happens is people go, I speak, that's all I do. I'm speaker, so I have to earn money by speaking. How is the way I can do that now? And I went, well, firstly, take a step back, and how else can you package your IP in a way that allows you to take advantage of this situation, not do what every other speaker is doing? Oh, I'll do a virtual for free because I just need experience. Meanwhile, they used to charge $15,000. So what happens is people go into I've, this is what I've always done. Now there's a barrier. How do I find a way through that barrier to do things the way I've always done? And what I always suggest is take a step back and say, what if there was a smarter way of doing this? What if there was a way of taking advantage of this current situation? And if there was, what would that look like? And, you know, for me, you know, absolutely, we, we, we have a whole bunch of new content. When I said we have changed the way we run expenses, yes, we stopped a lot of short-term things that were costing money to look for high rewards quickly. And the reason for that is we didn't feel the want to hard, you know, hard offer things to people in this current climate. But what we did do is we started to offer free content that gave people assistance for brand development that led them to products that we're actually developing that will be launched later on this year to launch them. You know, my new book, The Introvert's Edge to Networking is coming out in January and we've created this long-term pathway. However, we also doubled down on the products that we already had that offered the virtual experience. So what I'm suggesting to people is if they're in this COVID situation and the question they need to first ask themselves is, am I in reaction mode? Am I reacting to the situation and just trying to deal with it? Am I, am I trying to hustle through it? And if I'm trying to hustle through it, that's the wrong way. That's the wrong focus. You shouldn't just throw more effort at something and hope to get the, the same or better results because that won't happen. What you've got to do is say, what if there was another way? 
For me, it was my willingness to ask what if, because most introverts would have said, I don't have the gift of gab, so I'm just going to have to hustle or quit. That wasn't an option for me. The second thing is most people in sales rely on lady luck, right? Oh, today was a lucky day. I made a sale in 63 doors. Today was unlucky. I made a sale in 105. Again, not the thing you want to be relying on. You need to take control. I mean, in neurolinguistic programming, you learn about cause and effect. Are you an effect of a problem or are you in control of the problem? And the answer is that most people I see in leadership right now, and it's still, they're in a tailspin. And that's fine. It was an emotional situation. But gosh, it's been a while now. We're all in this together. We know it's happened. You now need to make the decision. Don't blame yourself for what you've done in the past. Stop procrastinating. You need to say, what if there was a way I could take control of this? What skills would I need to be able to do that? What are some of the things that I struggle with most? And what skill sets and what technologies will allow me to succeed? And as soon as you do that, all of a sudden, it's like you get this sense of control back. And all of a sudden, that COVID depression that you're under, the COVID haze or the the COVID anxiety you're under just dissipates because that's what the human mind wants. It wants control. You can give it back to yourself. Well, yeah. And, and I think I'm going to add to your questions because I think there's a, a more fundamental question that leaders have to ask. And this goes back to some history. When, when uh, you know, I, I can remember somebody talking about this and they said, if the railroad industry had recognized that they were not in the business of being in the railroads, but in the business of transportation, they would have taken over the world in terms of airplanes and automobiles and all that. But they thought in terms of railroads. And we know what the, in the United States where the railroads are today in comparison to these other transportation uh, networks. So when I look at that, and you, you talked about it, the speaker. I'm a speaker, okay? That's the wrong statement. That would be like me saying, I, what I do and, and all I do is I have a leadership development program, and that's what I do. That's not what I do. I make good bosses into great leaders with compassion and accountability. And then I ask myself the question, how can I do that? I can do it with face-to-face work. I can do it with coaching. I can do it with webinars. I can do it with free videos. I can do it with a book. I can do it with, you know, all the things that you're talking about because the mission is what drives it. And if your mission is so narrow that the present economic conditions and health conditions have eliminated your business from the marketplace, then you better redefine your mission. (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised how many people don't know their missions. This, one of the things that, I'm, that I say all the time is one of the things I've learned is I can create a rapid growth business out of anything. But there is nothing worse than a rapid growth business with customers you don't like in a business you can't stand. So usually what happens is people then get in effect by something like this and their mission wasn't strong enough in the first place. So it just sounds like a lot of extra work. Why bother? The truth is most people need to come back. I mean, people tend to inherit their goals from their mother, their father, I don't know, drunk roommate they had in college. They hear these things that are important and their life then just bends to what everyone tells them that they should want. Right. COVID can be one thing for you. It should be the the come to reality moment that you've perhaps been, been needing your entire life, which is if I'm going to do something, the pain has to be worth the gain. So what am I truly passionate about and what mission do I want to be on? Now, that doesn't mean that you need to change business models. You know, I worked with someone in insurance recently and, you know, well, not so recently. They're actually a feature in my next book. But when I worked with him, I said, well, you know, who do you, what, what are you really passionate about in insurance? Well, I just feel like everyone needs it. Yeah, no, but you got, in, you got into insurance. You could have done anything. Why this? Well, I don't really know. Well, help me understand your clients. Who do you care about working with most? Well, whoever needs more insurance is who I want to work with, right? More commission. 
okay, we're not really getting anywhere there. What about business owners that have, you know, started their business and really, you know, worked hard to create their business versus somebody that, you know, hustled to get a degree, hustled their whole way through a career to get that top job? Which one of those do you feel like you would want to help most? Well, the business owners. Well, why? I just feel like they need more, you know, they, they, I feel like they deserve more help. Hold on a second. Why do you believe that? Well, you know, my grandfather had a farm and, you know, he hustled for, you know, 20, 30 years employing people, building a farm. He got sick. And because he got sick, he had to sell the farm to pay the medical bills. And then I watched him literally spend the last 15 years of his life dying on the couch in this little apartment. Okay, so now we're on to something. How would it feel to wake up every day to help the hustlers that start these businesses and create employment opportunities for themselves not end up dying on the couch like your grandfather because they didn't have the insurance that they needed? Well, that would feel awesome. Well, now we have some passion and some mission about something, don't we? Yeah, well, so your answer, first of all, your your process of asking, it's the old Japanese thing to ask why five times. And by the time you ask why about the fifth, fourth or fifth time, you're finally getting to the real deep down emotion of why the person is doing it. And basically the question comes to this is what problem are you trying to solve or what pain are you trying to trying to resolve? And if you can't answer that question at a, at a, at an emotional level, then you're probably not going to be able to sell it because sales are created through emotion. Well, I would suggest, I would suggest I'd reframe that because when people okay. know what problem they're trying to solve, that makes everybody that's listening feel like a salesperson. Right. For me, I like to make it more selfless because if you say this is the problem that I'm trying to solve and so this is how I make money out of solving that problem. Right. That is the same as, you know, Nick, who's the guy in the story, going into a networking event and saying, I sell insurance because I'm really dying to buy, buy a new Lexus and I would really like you to help me with that. Right. So we don't want to focus it that way. What we want to do is we want to frame it as what we're passionate about and what mission we're on. For instance, Nick is passionate about helping small businesses not get stuck in terrible retirements, right? But that's what I'm saying. We're saying the same thing because that's the problem. The problem is, is, is you're going to lose your business. The problem is that you're going to get stuck because of economic conditions. The problem is this, the problem is that. And you, your grandfather lost his business after 25 or 30 years because there was no safety net. I'm the safety net. So I'm the solution to the problem. And, and the pain that I saw my grandfather go through. And that's my passion. So I, I, think, I think we're saying the same thing. It, we are saying exactly the same thing. The reason why I'm saying the framing is important is because if you go out networking and you use the word problem, you'll start to fall into the tactical sales approaches of explaining, well, then what are the benefits of the features that you offer? And you go in that way. I'll give you an example. When you go to networking, what generally happens? Okay, let's do this. Let's, let's do networking. Ask me what I do. So what is it that you do? Well, Matthew, have you ever had a bad boss? I have. I've had many bad bosses. Well, actually, okay. I'm lying to you because I've never had a boss outside my first one. But he was a bad boss. He was a bad boss, yeah. We, most people have. In fact, I've heard studies 75 to 80% of people have had intolerable bosses. I get rid of them. Okay. So now the reason why you've said that is I would then be forced to say something like, well, how do you do that? Thank you. Mm-hmm. which is what in marketing terms is called a hook. Yeah. Now, then if I say, how do you do that? What would you say? Well, I would ask you, why do you ask? Because I've had a lot of people that would describe their boss. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I make good bosses into great leaders with compassion and accountability. That's my mission. 
Okay. So let's frame it differently and I'll show you the difference. Okay. Let's okay. learn. So you asked me what I do. What do you do, Matthew? I'm the rapid growth guy. Okay. What does that mean? Well, one of the things that I love to see is strong people that have got enough talent and experience and faith in themselves to go and start their own business. And it just kills me to see a lot of these people getting stuck in this constant hamster wheel of struggling to find interested prospects, setting themselves apart and while making the sale. Oh, but you just said the pain right there. You just nailed it and said, there's the pain. So there's the pain part, but then we're about to get to mission, right? So love and hate, these are feeling words, right? I love seeing this. I hate seeing this. All while competing on price. Do you know anyone like that? Yes, I do. Well, I'm on a mission to help these people understand that they don't need to get better at their functional skill, but understand there are three specific things that they need to know that will really separate this. Actually, you know what? Let me give you an example, and then I will tell you a story. But the difference is you don't, I don't get into functional. I don't get into problem-solving mode or the sales pitch. I talk about passion. I talk about mission, and then I lead into a story. Because at a networking event, what happens is if you fall into a conversation about the problems that they're having with the boss, then we're going to get into a conversation about can you help me? And you need to act surprised because what will happen is as soon as you start talking about how you can help someone, their buddy John will walk into the room and go, oh, g'day, Matt, how are you doing? And now we're distracted. So all you want to do is leave them with your passion and your mission and then get into a story because if a story, if you're distracted during watching a movie, then you're going to be annoyed with the person that comes in and distracts you. If you're talking about things from a logical level, it's different. And here's why. A story will short-circuit the logical brain. You speak directly to the emotional brain. The logical part of the brain is the part of the brain that's going, I don't really have time for this. You know, I'm not sure if that will work with me. My situation is different. The logical brain can't process story. So we literally just short-circuits and we speak directly to the emotional brain, which literally yells out story time and listens what happens is they literally, the brain will just kick back and assume all the detail is fact and hear the moral of the story. And if the moral of the story is, of course, if you've worked with someone just like them that looking for what they're looking for, you get them to a great outcome. But also with story, what happens is you're sidestepping the emotional problems. For instance, if I'm talking about my bad boss, I'm sharing a lot of intimacy with you and I've really just met you. When I tell a story of someone else just like them, I'm connecting on the same points. I'm helping them understand that I I know them perhaps better than they know themselves through my experience with this person. I'm not projecting bad things that they, they have going on on them, which means they're not going to get defensive. They'll see themselves in that story and they'll see me as the only logical choice, but it only comes out as educational and inspirational. The other thing is people remember 22 times more information, well, up to 22 times more information when embedded into stories, which is powerful. But here's the kicker. It activates what's called the reticular activating system of our brains, a study out of Princeton, that actually means that our brains will synchronize at that time, which generates artificial rapport, which allows us to lead it into real rapport. You know, I do a lot of big presentations for big corporations, and a lot of times it's to their sales team. And there's always, you know, a lot of senior leaders from other departments that have heard my profile and come to the presentation. And they're like, well, I'm I'm looking at story the way you're talking about it. That would kind of work when I'm explaining the financial projections for our business, wouldn't it? I'm like, absolutely. You can explain the story of why you're doing, you're going in this direction. You can make it about that specific client and why we're making this choice. Story is a really powerful tool used in leadership, but it's, again, in networking, it's hugely powerful because, again, it sidesteps that conversation in networking that's more transactional. And I find in networking, people do one of two things. 
they either do a transactional networking, which is, hey, I sell insurance. Do you want to buy something? Which is awkward. Or, no, no, I'm never going to be one of those people. And they kind of, then they do this kind of aimless networking where they have a social dialogue, but that's about it. The problem with something that stays in the logical brain is over time it graduates to a transactional conversation or to an aimless one, right? But if you focus on something that's a lot more strategic, which has a a similar marketing hook that then leads into passion and mission and then to a story, nothing that you've said has anything to do with them. Therefore, it doesn't come across as a pitch and can't be perceived as anything similar to one. Yeah, so I, th- I think, guys, we wrap up what I'm hearing and, and the, the connection that we're making with leadership is very powerful. You even said it. Most leaders need to do a better job in communicating stories and communicating through stories. Because, in fact, if personal power is the only power that lasts, positional power is, is fleeting. And we create personal power through connection, through a sense of belonging, through a sense of understanding the other person's position, and then connecting on those stories in a way that helps people uh, move forward. So I, I think you've hit upon some real powerful things here today as we talk about leadership and selling and, and stories. I love that. In fact, I might uh, title today Leadership and Stories because that's where you're kind of ending with all of this. It's uh, really some good learning that we've gotten. I have a feeling that that six weeks of sales training that you put yourself through on YouTube taught you some of the very things you're still using today. Would that be a fair statement? So I think that I've benefited my whole life from that six weeks and not just in because I learned to sell, but because I learned that everything was a system, something that could be learned and mastered. Yeah. Well, Matthew, you got any final comments as our guest today to share with our audience? Uh, look, you know, for, for those people that are that are introverted, I think one of the things that would be very powerful for you is to help you all realize that you're not second-class citizens. You just, your path to success is different and you need to embrace that. So, you know, I have a podcast myself called The Introvert's Ed, and what we do is we interview a bunch of introverted titans, people that you would never assume are introverted. And you'd be honest, I mean, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, you know, Bill Gates, Zig Ziglar, all these amazing names that you would never assume are introverted. You know, maybe Bill Gates, you probably would, but all these other names that you would never assume are introverted and them talking about their real stories and how their introversion aided their success, not hindered it. And we cover off on a lot of leadership topics there as well. But I think that's what, you know, if, if I was introverted and I was looking to help realize that I can be a titan in my career, in my sales world, in my own business, success is absolutely possible for you. And, you know, I want you all to know that. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate that uplifting message. And it's a great place for us to end today. And Matthew, I want to thank you for your time and your your thoughts. And we'll put in the show notes how people can get a hold of you. But share with the audience, if you will, real quick, if they want to get in touch with Matthew Pollard, how, how can they do that? Sure. I mean, you're welcome just to type my name into Google. Um, MatthewPollard.com is my official website. One thing I will tell you is I produce a ton of free content and post it on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I learned on YouTube, so I, I try and return the favor the best I can. So feel free to make use of all of that. If you're in sales or run your own business, which let's be honest, you're in sales if you run your own business, you don't need to buy my book. It's called The Introvert's Edge. However, I would suggest you download the first chapter at theintrovertsedge.com. In there, you'll find the seven steps to a sale. If you do nothing more, then look at what you currently say and fit it under those seven steps. You'll realize there's a bunch of things that you say that don't fit. Throw them out. You shouldn't be saying those to customers. Then you'll realize there's some gaping holes. And if you fill those gaps in, you'll easily double your sales in the next 60 days. So I'd suggest you start there. 
great, great. Then if they can double their sales in 60 days, then you fulfilled your mission as the uh, rapid growth guy, right? Absolutely. Well, Matthew, thanks today for sharing so many great thoughts. We really appreciate your time. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for listening to Leading from the Front. Be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.